This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. We conclude sports, our annual sports jersey week with the man, Aiden Hutchinson. You runner up for the 2021 Heisman Trophy. You mentioned we were off the Michigan train. I said we were for a day. Not permanently. So three out of the five days were just insufferable Wolverine nonsense. Yes. And, and for, from my perspective, that's restraint. I could have gone all five. I mean, there were Michigan jerseys that went unworn. So, I mean, I think you should count yourself fortunate. That's he could have been changing jerseys, you know, every segment. Yes, I have that many. That is very true. I could have gotten, we could have done hockey, basketball. What do you want? All of them? Could have worn them all. So. You know I don't want all of them. That's definitely not the answer so to I that So I only question. gave you three of them and now... Am I not merciful? That's what this is. Yes. His name is Todders, and his name's Aaron McIntyre. We'll be joined in a moment by my good friend Hogan Gidley, who worked uh, as the uh, Deputy Communications Director for the Trump White House and also uh, ran communications for Trump's 2020 re-elect campaign. So we look forward to that in a moment. First, a reminder, next hour, Feedback Friday. Before we get to the day's group, a reminder about our friends at Red Balloon. You know, and we, and we know, and they know, that our values are under attack right now. That includes many of America's biggest workplaces where conservatives, patriots, are made to attend woke DEI trainings. If you're Jordan Peterson, re-education camps. If you think it's bad now, just wait until the election. It's going to get even worse. But RedBalloon.Work is fighting back. They're America's largest woke-free job board. And every week, tens of thousands of job seekers visit Red Balloon looking for a new career without all the woke nonsense. So if you're a business owner, you need to stop using the big woke job boards who flood your inbox with useless resumes. Instead, post your open jobs on RedBalloon.Work and find values-aligned job seekers. I've spoken to many business owners who rave about the reliable, dedicated job seekers they found on Red Balloon. So when you visit redballoon.work, use promo code STEVE to receive five free profile search credits. That's a $50 value. That's redballoon.work, promo code STEVE. Again, if you're looking for a new job, you should create a job seeker profile at redballoon.work today and use promo code STEVE. You'll be glad that you did. And with that... It is time for the Dace Group. Indeed, Hogan, I know it's been a bit since you've been here, but yes, we just completely ripped off the McLaughlin Group music, branding, everything. Yeah. Nothing's original, okay. just completely ripped it off. But John McLaughlin uh, is dead now, so I think he's going to be okay with it. All right, let's get to issue one. Bleep Lord Nefarious says.
without facts or economics on their side. They flatly deny what is happening to our planet and what we must do to save it. They incite a movement against what they falsely label climate change fanaticism as they conveniently forget that the dictionary definition of a cult is the dismissal of facts in devotion to a lie. And welcome to First Christian Church of Burbank, a community of God's hospitality and love on this Pride Sunday, in which, simply put, we are proud of God's human family and the diversity of identities that God claims and affirms. I am what I am. I am what I am. The, the dictionary definition of a cult. Should kids be allowed to play football? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I wouldn't put my kids in football personally. Should kids be allowed to do drag shows? Yeah, if they want to. Yes. <laughs> yes. The, the dictionary definition of a cult. Among Democrats, seven in ten Democrats have concerns. They think perhaps he is too old to serve another four years. We should point out that then when you ask them, well, are you going to vote for Donald Trump? They say, oh, gosh, no. I'm still going to vote for Joe <laughs> Biden. The, the dictionary definition of a cult. But what concerns do you have, if any, and uh, how is the campaign going to take this issue head on, which is a real issue that people are talking about publicly and privately. Well, President Biden is taking this issue head on by continuing to lead. The, the dictionary definition of a cult. The American people know fundamentally that Joe Biden is a good and decent man uh, who's dedicated his life to public service uh, and will continue to serve the people honorably uh, and admirably. The, the dictionary definition of a cult. Press poll finds that most Americans believe that President Biden is too old to be president. Is the White House worried that questions about President Biden's stamina could ultimately impact whether or not voters will be able to support him for a second term? Here's the thing. You know, what this president brings to this administration is wisdom and experience. And you and that is just true. The, the dictionary definition of a cult. I thought things had changed. I was able to literally, not figuratively, talk Strom Thurmond into voting for the, the Civil Rights Act before he died. The, the dictionary definition of a cult. I think the message from is get the shot if you want, I if will. If you want it, don't, go ahead. Don't get it. Where you going to get another one? I just said I'm not going to ask anybody if they're it? getting their shot. Get, I won't wear a mask, but I'm going to get the shot. You are? How, what number shot is this for you? I've had it every, so I'm, I'm <laughs> doing one in October. I have one in April. How many? What's the total? So, oh, this yeah. will be my seventh. Oh. <laughs> seventh shot. Why? And I've had COVID three times. The, the dictionary definition of a cult is the dismissal of facts in devotion to a lie. Wow. Aaron. That was something, brother. That was something. I had no idea what I was going to do this morning when I was putting this together. And, yeah, from and then 15 within, minutes deep later. Deep within I, your bowels, you pulled out that? No, 50, it literally, literally took me 15 minutes and I came up with that. That, that. that was something. I mean, and the clip, I may, maybe I misjudged Jesse Waters. I kind of just viewed him as, you know, like a, you know, more shallow version of Hannity. But um, he's, just, he's just, got some good stuff. Just sitting there laughing yeah. in Henry Ford Jr.'s face. I mean, I guess I might, I, might have to, I might have to tune in for an episode now. Just laughed at him right to his face. I have so much respect for that. I, I greatly enjoyed that. That was my favorite part of that clip. And as, if, and as if what shutting it down would be Harold Ford Jr. saying, and I've had COVID three times, as if that's a, Justification? Yes, of yes, of indeed. Of so funny. 
All right, so let's get to the first question. Hogan, as the guest, you get to go to first. What was the best of the worst that you just saw? Oh, gosh. Um, the best of the worst. Uh, the best of the worst was that guy who said, I am what I am, and unzipped his jacket. And there he is, I would assume, professing the gospel of Christ while dressed like that, mm-hmm. while making claims that obviously would be anti-biblical. That, to me, is the most insidious or nefarious, if you will, Steve, mm. see what I did, um, to our culture, to our future, uh, because when you get people to believe those lies, and you played a lot of those, which are great from the political sphere, but I think from the from the um, Christian sphere, it's one of the one of the deepest and darkest that has kind of the most abiding damage, the most long lasting damage. So for me, that was the best of the worst. Amen. There's nothing there's nothing more antithetical to the gospel than you approaching God as a mere human and saying, I am what I am. Right. As if God, you must accept me. No, that's that's antithetical to the gospel. The gospel is you are not. Uh, God loves you too much to leave you as you are. That's the gospel. And instead, as an ingrate, to shake your fist at God and say, no, I demand to die in my sins. I demand it. I demand that you instead change your standard for me. That, folks, you know, you're playing roulette um, with your own soul when you do stuff like that. Todd, what about you? You know, it's funny because the answers are not really surprising in any way at all. But oftentimes, a good pastor, somebody else... You know, you know the Bible truths, you've read them in the past, but you simply need to confront him with a level of starkness of just and that and that the saying it out loud and everybody's like, Wow, that's nuts. And for me, I found that what's happened with the uh, guy asking the questions of the women. Football versus drag queens. Mm-hmm. And one's like without any exception, yes, and the other's Absolutely not. And we're talking football and drag queens. And Steve, you and I had a conversation off air before. I don't think that it puts into stark contrast. We even forget the what Hogan highlighted, you know, the people like that in churches like that. There are Orthodox Christians solid men who more or less do their duty raise their family take care of them pay their bills but but i don't think we fully appreciate how soft we all collectively are as men in a culture that has allowed reality to bend to that level women generally just don't clearly respect us as men, period, because of the example we've been, we've allowed a new reality to form where we never punish evil. And so madness has just taken over. With the grooming going on in the schools, pain on a level that would have been right and just should have been felt a long time ago. And we just can't even imagine it now. What we can, that is the reality of people. Football would be the last over my dead body with my son but I'm taken to drag cream story hour. I don't, we, we deserve a level of judgment that would make Sodom and Gomorrah blush because of that segment alone. Hmm. 
That reminds me years ago when USA Today still hired people like me and I was one of their contributors. Um, I got asked to write uh, the uh, the official response to the entire op-ed page. It was this Friday edition before the Super Bowl that year. I think it was the Falcon Patriots Super Bowl. And uh, USA Today's official position was that football was too dangerous uh, yeah, for kids to play. Right. Do you remember this? Yeah. And I, I wrote my column uh, in response to them just saying, you guys are the same editorial board that wants to take our daughters and put them on the front yeah. lines of yeah. wars to be raped and assaulted and murdered and, and shredded Okay, by the enemy. And it's okay for the daughters to be raped, gang raped by the enemy on the front lines of wars while men stay behind. But it is not okay for men to go and play football. You don't care about the safety of football. Yeah. What you care about is tearing down any masculine driven meritocracy. That's what you are trying to do. I was stunned that they published it, but they did. Anyway, Aaron, go ahead. So that clip was also my worst because if you let it play out a little bit more, those women's justifications was that football is dangerous, but doing drag shows is not. Mm-hmm. Folks, that is frightening. And let me tell you why it's frightening. Because it is utterly devoid of anything resembling the transcendent. If it were true that none of us had souls, she'd actually be correct, wouldn't she? But we do. We do have souls. But that's not part of the calculation. So, yeah, she's correct. One is dangerous and the other is not. But she's got it 180 degrees backwards. 180 degrees backwards. And why it's frightening is that when you have a mass of people who don't even consider, consider things like this in any semblance of the light that I just talked about. Right. That is frightening. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, that's a matriarchal culture there. That's the difference. You know, the only thing worse than the patriarchy, the matriarchy. Exit question. On a scale of one to 10, with one being how likely it is that Trump will not face 12 jurors in D.C. that want to put him in cuffs. 10 being the odds that Lindsey Graham wants to find 12 people in D.C. that will put him in cuffs this weekend. Rank this week's level of total depravity. Aaron. 10. Hogan's side eye is Hogan's everything. Like, can I answer this? Am I supposed to be here for this? No, Top. it's not that. I'm, the, the, I lost you somewhere in there. It's, One, it, it, it's how just, likely he's going to face? Oh, just answer feel, 10. You'll feel dirty if you do the math too <laughs> yeah. closely. Yeah, just, yeah just, just answer 10. It's, it's, it's just say 10. It's a solid 10. It's a solid 10. Hogan's a 10. I'll speak for him. All right. He oh, probably yeah. has to face Ho- He probably has to face Lindsey Graham back home in South Carolina at some Lions Club event no. or something in the future. No, no. no? Okay. All right. All right. So, Hogan, I want to take advantage of you being here, if you don't mind. No. Okay? Yes. And I want to do so because I, I, want, I think you can provide a perspective that I want my audience to hear that they don't hear from us. Okay? Because of your relationship with the former president and, mm-hmm. um, and understanding of the way he thinks when we are just speculating from afar. Okay? So for issue two, I have done something a little different this week. Instead of having Aaron prep an introduction, I want to take a clip of of the former president on our network earlier this week talking to Glenn Beck about the legal challenges he faces. And I want to ask you a few questions about it to see if you can help our audience understand things that I can't tell them because I don't know things that you know or people you know. Okay. All right. So here's that clip. 
So let me ask you, you know, you've seen the deep state. We now all know what you saw was true and deeper than I think any of us knew. They've weaponized everything. They are serious about trying to put you in prison. Can I ask, will you and can you run a campaign from a jail cell? Well, I don't think that's ever happening. We have a great case. Uh, every case is a scam. Uh, this is just like Russia, Russia, Russia. Remember, I was going to be guilty with Russia, Russia, Russia. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, with 18 radical Democrats and Bob Mueller, the Mueller report said there was no collusion. Everyone yeah. had a heart attack. And uh, then they started Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. Then they started lying on Pfizer reports. These are bad people. These are sick people. And now uh, we're... We have the biggest lead I've ever had. Uh, mm-hmm. The debate, I actually went up after the debate, as you know. We did your your friend Tucker's uh, interview, yes. and he had 261 million people, which is an all-time record. Yeah. So when you say, uh, like, I didn't do a debate, I actually didn't do a debate, but I had 261 million people listening versus 11 million, which mm-hmm. they had, which was one of the lowest-rated debates. So uh, I went up uh, fairly substantially after that, and I think the— uh, fake indictment that they did in Georgia was uh, yeah. very helpful. And then they insisted on a mugshot and somehow it turned out to be very iconic. Yep. All right. So Hogan, here's the first question I want to ask. Okay. Yeah. Does president Trump really believe they do not intend to follow through on the full extent of the legalities of this, that they're going to file indictments. They're going to do trial dates And then at some point, there's going to be a poll where it's clear that the American people are against this and they're all just going to push back and pull back and say, you know what, psych, we don't mean it, that they're not going to actually follow through on the lawfare. Does he actually believe that? Because that when I look at it from afar, that's I understand he's campaigning at the same time. And sometimes legal strategy and campaign strategy may conflict, especially with what you're talking about in public. But does he understand that they fully intend by hook or by crook to put him in prison, regardless of facts or evidence or anything of that nature? Like they did. They just put five pro-lifers in prison for 11 years yesterday, Hogan. Um, yeah. There's still January 6th supporters of the president who committed no violent acts still don't even have a trial date. A grandmother who spent 18 months in the Capitol acting peaceably was just given over a year in jail. Okay, for January 6th. So does, this, is a, this is something we talk a lot about on the show. Does he understand that, that, that they're serious? This isn't a game. Or are we wrong? I want to let you respond. No, I mean, he understands it's serious. I mean, I was just with him a couple of weeks ago on the plane. We were talking. It was a, a kind of a skeleton crew, but he and I talked about it. He absolutely believes that, um, that it's serious. But he also believes his case is um, unimpeachable, to use a phrase from, from the administration. Um, the, the, the reality of the venues, I think, his attorneys understand and have explained to him. You're talking about Atlanta. Mm-hmm. You're talking about Washington, D.C. You're talking about New York, places not favorable, obviously, to Republicans in general, but definitely not favorable uh, to Donald Trump. But I think, you know... Uh, one of these cases presupposes that Donald Trump really didn't believe he won the election. And if they think they're going to convict him on getting a jury to believe he didn't honestly believe he won that election, they got another thing coming because he absolutely believes that up until including today. 
Um, he understands the seriousness of it, but I think what he's trying to explain to Glenn Beck there is that he also understands the seriousness of his defense, which is based in fact, which is based in solid information. Georgia to me is a, a fascinating case. They're, they're all interesting to me to different degrees, but I think one thing because I work in like the election integrity space, Steve, and you and I have talked about mm-hmm. this. One thing that's fascinating to me too is because of that case um, in Georgia, for example, remember a lot of the cases about the problems with the elections, the anomalies, the irregularities, the fraud, they were all thrown out for standing, which of course is a fancy way of saying it didn't harm you. So you don't have a right to bring it uh, to court. But for the first time, we're actually going to see some of the evidence that was out there. Again, this isn't about overturning. Everybody relax. No one's talking about overturning anything. But you're going to see a lot of the stuff that was queued up to come out that a judge refused to see. So we're going to see a lot of this stuff play out in real time. I know he understands the severity of the charges. I know he understands how serious it is. But the face he put forward, literally, in that mugshot, was basically a face that said, bring it. I know what you got. I've taken a lot of shots from you before I was president, while I was president, now after I'm president. You've taken shots at the king on multiple occasions and missed. Now I'm coming for you. And I'm going to do it in a court of law, and you're going to see it. And he thinks he's going to not only win the nomination, but win the presidency. And while draining the swamp is a very difficult thing to do, Donald Trump did a lot of it, but the swamp's deeper than I think a lot of people thought, and Glenn Beck alluded to that. It's got some bottom feeders down there who are clinging on to that power. They want to gain and maintain it. And I think that picture basically summarized his, not just feeling, but his mentality of, all right, you want some, you got some. The D.C. case is always the one I've been the most concerned about because I've been covering the January 6th case. And I know this judge, she has frequently issued harsher penalties for January 6thers than even what the yep. Merrick Garland DA has asked for. I mean, there used to be a joke when we were kids, Eddie Murphy used to do a joke about uh, getting pulled over in L.A. for being black on a sunny day. You know, um, I, I think Donald Trump is guilty in Washington, D.C., guilty for being Donald Trump on a sunny day in Washington, D.C. I, I really don't believe there is any evidence. Not none. None. And I, I think they are going to convict him just on the grounds that he's Donald Trump. I don't think, given who the Circuit Court of Appeals is in that circuit, there's much hope of an appeal. So then you're basically going, we're going and putting this whole thing in the hands of John Roberts, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. You have to win two of them, assuming Gorsuch, who's been a very good justice overall, except for the tranny stuff. Obviously, Alito and, and Clarence Thomas are, you know, studs. Um, Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett, except for Dobbs, have voted a majority of the time with the Democrats. We all know John Roberts is an institutionalist, so you have to hold on to two of those three and hope they don't flip to Democrats. Um, does he understand that? Or does he dispute? Would, would, if, yeah. if he were here today and I had a chance to talk to him, would he dispute that he thinks he can really present evidence in a D.C. court that would allow him to walk away exonerated in the same circuit that has put hundreds of his own supporters on indefinite detention like they're in a gulag? Well, you need one, right? One juror here. True. Uh, and it's going to be hard to... It, I'm sorry? I said true. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And that's tough in D.C., I'll be honest, even though you only need one. Um, I think he, he definitely understands that. I think he's so focused on the bigger fight 
Um, and, and, you know, I think in his mind, he, he lumps a lot of these together because they do kind of fall under the rubric of the weaponization of government. And, and like you just pointed out, Steve, yeah, they're, they're coming after him. Of course they are. It's not just who they prosecute, though. It's who they protect. It's the elites. It's mm-hmm. Hunter Biden. It's Joe Biden. It's Hillary. It's Bill. It's the whole cabal, of course, of those folks. And they do it on the right, too, for some of the hand selected. But they're coming after all the American citizens as well, as you pointed out, being jailed for you know liking the wrong tweet or downloading the wrong, wrong podcast, coming on the wrong show, having the wrong position on abortion or or um, you know whatever the case may be, standing up because you don't want your child trans behind your back in in school, um, teaching critical race theory. You're concerned about that? Well, they arrest you too. We're in a, a time in this country where I think Donald Trump understands the stakes, but he also understands he has a record of pushing back on establishment figures, whether it be, you know, Manhattan and, and building things in the in the eighties. Uh, you know, coming into somewhere that he wasn't welcome at the outset or or Washington, D.C., coming in and doing the same thing. It tracks pretty well with his psyche over the decades. If you're asking me to say definitively, though, whether he understands the, the vitriol and the anger and the resentment that these people hold against him, for simply standing up and giving us a voice out here in real America, I don't know that anybody understands the the depth of evil these these people are willing to to enact, implement, to try and and gain that political power. Let's move ahead. We've got three minutes here. Let's move okay. beyond. Let's move beyond the like. Well, another form of lawfare. So I predicted a couple of months ago that. It, blue secretaries of state in swing states that are must-wins, Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, would attempt, if he's a convicted felon, to attempt to take him off the ballot and adjudicate that he's not eligible. Our editor here at The Blaze, Matthew Peterson, pointed out today that prior to the election of 1860, 10 Confederate states removed Abraham Lincoln from the ballot. You couldn't vote for him. And as we learned during the Florida recount, states determine, and you guys know this with the election integrity stuff you're doing, states determine ballot access and election access, election law, et cetera. So we'd have to adjudicate this at the state level. I predicted that a few months ago. Now the Atlantic is, is writing about it. Gavin Newsom brought it up. Um, we've had even some other Democrats talk about it. Without divulging strategy specifics, do you know if they have contingency plans of in, in, in anticipation that that would be attempted next summer or fall, which would, of course, throw this entire thing, an election into chaos if he's the nominee. Do you know if they've at least on a broad level strategically plotted that out? Now, I, again, I don't work for Donald Trump's campaign currently. I know. And I don't uh, mean to corner. I, would, I don't mean to corner a good friend of mine. Just you're the closest person to the president. I know. That's all. So. No, it's fine. It's fine. I know we're looking at it at the America First Policy Institute for sure. Uh, it's being talked about now in these states. And, and you know, Steve, when you're talking about the last election for president being decided by 42,000 votes across three states. Mm-hmm. This stuff matters, mm-hmm. obviously. They're looking at in New Hampshire, getting them off the ballot there, obviously California. So, you know, is it a, is it a strategy? That, and again, we, no one's really st- settled on a strategy yet. I can tell you that what, what we're looking to do. But, I mean, there are a lot of different options here. Is it a mutually assured destruction situation where we all of a sudden say, fine, you want to play that game? We're going to play it. We try yep. to take 
Joe Biden off the ballot or whoever the Democrat nominee may be at the time? Mm -hmm. uh, or is it one of those where we go, all right, let's go ahead and get a court case out there, see if we can't get a ruling on it, and then use that as precedent when someone tries to do it? I mean, there are a lot of different things you can look at. I'm not an attorney here, but I mean, the fact is they're coming, they're, they are trying to destroy this man any way possible. And you just point out, if these four indictments, these four cases don't work, then I guarantee you they're going to try and take him off the ballot and probably will in some states. I just wanted to hear someone in that sphere or sphere acknowledge they're at least contemplating this strategically. We're not, oh, yeah. not going to sit here next July and so by, let's say he makes it through all this, goes to Milwaukee, gives a, gives a nomination speech, and then a week later he's not even on the ballot in Wisconsin, and then what are we doing here in the elections in eight weeks, right? I just wanted right. to make sure that people are at least thinking this far ahead, and everything should be yes. on the table with who we're dealing with. Everything should be on the table with who we're dealing with. Do not take anything 100%. that that's, there's no way they do that, or that's, nope. Everything should nope. be on the table, They're I would say. It. Okay. They're doing it. All right, exit question then as we close this out. If your trust in the U.S. Supreme Court to put an end to this lawfare were a journey song, which journey song would it be? A, faithfully, 100%. B, don't stop believing, not confident, but don't give up. C, who's crying now? Prepare to have your heart broken. Aaron, where would you be? I have to, I'm, I have to go B. B. Yeah. You think it's kind of a flip of a coin? Yeah. Okay. Todd. It's B and not necessarily because of the justice that they're interested in, but the power. I mean, a role in solidifying his place as kingmaker, winning with it's always going to be interesting to a Supreme Court how it can suddenly change the lay of the land. I think that would be, if it does it, it's for that reason as much as anything else. Hogan, where would you be? You hit on it, Steve. If, if all this stuff happens and it has to get adjudicated by the Supreme Court, ultimately, then everyone on one side of the aisle is going to be happy when Donald Trump gets convicted of all these things. And then the other side is going to be angry. It goes to the Supreme Court and that entire thing flips and they're the ones who do it. Katie, bar the door, but I'm going don't stop believing for the song. All right. You guys all agree? You're yeah. a B. Okay. All right. We'll come back. I want to take a stroll down memory lane, if we could. A listener sent something to me that turned out to be strangely prophetic from over 10 years ago. Stay tuned. The Steve Day Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, back here on uh, The Dace Group, your weekly look at the week that was. Steve Dace here with Todd and Aaron McIntyre, former Deputy White House Communications Director and Head of Communications for Trump 2020. My old buddy Hogan Gidley here with us as well. All right, for issue three, this is going to take a few minutes, so I want to get right to it. A listener sent me, or viewer, if you're watching on TV, sent me this video from well over a decade ago. And I found it, and I, I, 
I found it fascinating. And to keep my attention for as long as it did tells you how prophetic this turned out to be. Uh, Forget the names and just think of the terms and the structures and the issues that are being talked about here. All right? Watch this. Let me show you something. You know, on Saturday, I said that we need to kill the cancer in our country and our cancer that we have, and it's happening on on both sides of the aisle, is, um, is corruption. It's killing us. America is an idea. That's all we are in an idea. And if the idea is to get rich, if the idea is to control people, you kill the republic. And that's what's happening. Show, show the blue screen, please. Here are the power centers of corruption. First, we start down at uh, New Orleans. This is, they're in the same building. Acorn and SCIU. Who's around the president all the time? Acorn and SCIU. Let me just ask you this one. I know I'm going out on a limb here, but look at the two guys. They're two brothers or twins. They should be villains in a James Bond movie. Look at them. Is it just me? Okay, next, let's go to Chicago. What could possibly ever be corrupt in Chicago? Oh, Blagojevich. Hmm. Anyway, we also have, oh, we've got uh, William Ayers here, the wonder of the Weather Underground guy. We have uh, Jeremiah Wright there, of course, at the blackboard. Boy, let's make fun of people who go at the blackboard. There's uh, Barack Obama. Chicago, the heart of corruption. You know that and I know that. Let's go to the next place where there's corruption everywhere. In fact, this one's so corrupt. You have the Apollo Alliance. The guy who is the head of the Apollo Alliance, remember, the people that wrote the stimulus bill, the chair of the Apollo Alliance in New York, that is constantly with the governor of New York, is Jeff Jones, the other founder of the Weather Underground. Gee, you'd think somebody, maybe the New York Times would like to do a story on that. Bernie Madoff. They're talking to you today. The president's coming out and saying, you know what, we need to just hold, totally redo the financial system. With what? With the unions in charge? The guy, are you kidding me? The unions, they're going to clean up corruption. We have Bernie Madoff. We have a guy who's writing our tax codes in New York. He can't even pay his own taxes. San Francisco, Democrats, let me ask you, really, is that who you are? Are you a, a, a self-avowed communist radical? That's who he is. Stop with the, he called the Republicans a naughty name. I've done that. Stop with that. A self-avowed communist radical started Storm, a radical group. Can anybody, can anybody do a story on that? No, that's crazy. And Nancy Pelosi, really? Bring me to Washington, D.C., please. And here's why they're doing it. All the special interests, the handouts, the stimulus, the health care, the cap-and-trade bills, they aren't there to build a better nation. That's not there to do anything except this. Make these special interests, go ahead and start, make these special interests stronger in Chicago and New Orleans and New York. And here's what's going to happen. As more and more money floods out into the system, this corrupt organization gets stronger and stronger and stronger until it's gone. It's gone. Do you know who gave money to ACORN? The teachers union. The NEA is giving, what is it, a million and a half bucks to ACORN? They're going to build the framework of these corrupt organizations to fundamentally transform America. And if we allow any of these bills to go through, 
an already enormous problem in our country is going to spread like a disease. We need to kill the corruption before we do anything else. What we need to do is quarantine Washington, D.C. Nothing goes in, nothing comes out. You start by rejecting every single bill. Look, you may want health care. You can't do it while SEIU is at the table. You can't do it while uh, community organizations like ACORN are at the table. And believe me, these are shell game operators. You've got to end it. Republicans, you police your own people. Democrats, I feel like I'm a dad sitting here with my two kids. Don't tell me what she's doing. You mind your own business. You mind your own business. You, got, you both have problems. That's what you need to do. Then, the other thing that we need to do, you start rejecting those in the mainstream media who refuse to bring you the truth. Let's try this. The acorn corruption. This is, this is your money. Okay? Fox has had 133 reports on it. CNN, 90. MSNBC, 10. How's that possible? Hey, ABC, how's it working out for you with two? CBS, one. NBC, two. Is there a bigger story on corruption and use of your dollars having people given to 13-year-old hookers? You ask the questions they're supposed to be asking. You hold to the truth and then you speak without fear. You do what you did this weekend. You hold their feet to the fire. Now, let me talk directly to those in Washington, D.C. I know you watch this program. I was reading Thomas Jefferson last week, and it came to me. Our country was founded by 56 men. 56. They were decent, decent people. They changed the world. All we need is 56 men today, 56 men, women, who are willing to put country over self, put, the, put the, the republic over their party, free our government from the rabid corruption and special interest, and protect and defend the republic, the Constitution of the United States. And remember when you held your hand up, I swear I'm going to help, you know, protect and defend? You may have gone to Washington with good intentions, and now maybe you're sitting there and you're like, how is it? I went as Mr. Smith goes to Washington, and now I find myself in North by Northwest. But look at these pictures again. Look at these. These are Republicans and Democrats. Some of them want health care, some don't. Some are pro-life, some are pro-choice. They don't agree on every single issue, except one. They want their republic back. They want the corruption in the political games out of the way. They want elected and appointed officials to pay taxes just like they do. They want those people to be held to the same standards as they are if they fail to pay. They don't care about special interests. There are tough times ahead. There are tough times ahead. But I know there are people right now in Washington, D.C. that are afraid. You know what? I'm afraid. I become more and more afraid every day I'm on television. Because I know what I'm dealing with. I know who I'm dealing with. There are billions and billions of dollars at stake. I get it. But you know what? Sometimes you've got to do the right thing. If you're going to be part of the problem, those people are going to hold you accountable. Be part of the solution. One thing about America. We love a good redemption story. If you come clean, I can't promise it'll be easy. There are going to be some rough days ahead. But you'll come out and you start working for the refounding of America, you're going to have an army behind you. Don't be on the wrong side of history. We've taken a side. And that's for the rule of law and for the republic, for the Constitution. In Washington, you have to ask yourself, what side are you on? So that is our patriarch, Glenn Beck. That clip is over 12 years old. 
Thank you to Kim Peters, who shared that with me over email this week. And I just started watching it because I couldn't just believe how different Glenn looked. <laughs> and then I got completely enthralled by the message. And again, remove the names. Take out Acorn, SEIU, everything else. The fundamentals, though, of what's in that clip. Corruption. Uh, there's a part of that clip we had to edit out for, for brevity, where he goes back into Van Jones and that he was literally a card-carrying communist. Um, media blackouts of stories that don't affirm the, uh, the uh, regime narrative. That is from over 12 years ago, and it literally cites every fundamental that we are, or almost every fundamental that we are talking about today. As you watch it now, Hogan is someone who has served the last few years in Washington, D.C., I'll start with you. Your thoughts on what you just watched. Well, it is infuriating that what he was talking about then seems to have gotten a lot worse. Um, Well, not seems to. It has gotten a lot worse. Let's be honest about it. I mean, media coverage, media blackouts, we know. One of the most egregious things, the Hunter Biden laptop, we know no one covered that, obviously, leading up to the election. We know 14% of independents said they would have voted differently had they known that was true. The FBI knew it was true for a long time, years for that matter. Um, From June 8th to July 18th, mainstream media covered Donald Trump and indictments for 527 minutes. They covered Hunter and Joe for zero. Wow. Not five. Zero. Um, The hold, the stranglehold the mainstream media has over so many in this country and the lies they've told is kind of the reason why their popularity sits somewhere between Congress and COVID, because no one believes them, no one trusts them. Uh, And that's for good reason. It's their own fault and it's of their own making. But the deep state itself, the weaponization of the government, the, the, the ties that bind that Glenn Beck used to lay out all the time on Fox News have proven to be so true that when you see mountains of evidence against someone like, uh, uh, Hunter Biden, and you realize if you pull on the thread right, it's actually a problem with Joe Biden. But there are 21 shell companies, uh, $21 million into the bank accounts of them, over 200 suspicious you know, activity reports at banks, WhatsApp messages, text messages saying, hey, daddy, I pay all the bills like daddy makes me do. I hope you don't have to do that, sweetheart. And hey, daddy's sitting right here next to me, China, you better give me the money. All of these things are lining up whistleblowers on the record risking their reputation, their livelihoods, their lives to tell the truth. I really do feel as though, started by Glenn Beck, I would argue in large measure, the dam is really starting to break. And for me, it gives me a lot of hope. Hmm. Gentlemen, what did you think watching that as well? Well, of course things got worse. Uh, too much comfort, not enough consequences. We just got done talking earlier about, you know, look at the things we deal with, and we just can't we can't imagine implementing the level of consequences that would be righteously and justly deserved for this level of corruption. I mean, we see what did they used to do to horse thieves? Can I say that on the air? Well, they hung them. Yeah. You can say that. Yeah. But now we have free-for-alls at Target like every day of the week 
and everybody is advised to step back and do nothing. If you do happen to catch somebody, they're let out right away. I mean, we've just... Oh, now uh, now businesses will fire an employee who stops yes, a burglary. Yes. Yeah. So across I, the board, our perception of reality and justice, there was, of course... It, it, Glenn was absolutely a prophet. I experienced this in my own way. And around, I was at the Des Moines Register uh, 12 years ago when this was written. Somewhere between 12 and 15 years ago, I covered a neighborhood meeting and our local acorn had attached itself to it. And they use these things to drum up, I help you in your neighborhood. You become my thugs for all kinds of other issues. This is how they worked. They had a power struggle and one person in the local neighborhood wanted to put up a fight and wanted the, I, I reported it straight up, not as a conservative. I was just a reporter. They hated the story I wrote so much that was just fair to all sides. They were in the Des Moines Register newsroom in person the next day to try to get me fired. Hmm. And things had not gotten bad enough at the Des Moines Register for me personally or overall. They were like, yeah, get bent. This is all made up. But I'm just bringing that up. Glenn was a damn prophet. And that's why, lastly, it's just... When people ask me what I do, it's a damn privilege to say I work for the D- Steve Day Show. It's the show on right after the Glenn Beck Show because both you guys have been saying this kind of thing way before anybody else has for a very long time. Aaron, go ahead quickly. So there is a part of that that is simultaneously simultaneously encouraging and discouraging. Talking about the founding of this this country, 56 men, is it? And the illustration that, you know, it doesn't have to be everybody. Yep. We just need a minority of people to stand firm. That's encouraging. And then you realize that was 12 years ago. And that emboldened minority, that steadfast minority, we really haven't seen that emerge. We had the Tea Party. We had that moment that something like that could have come up. But then that just turned into one massive grift. And we've done these exercises live on the air a few times. We've gone through the Liberty Scorecard on Conservative Review. Hey, is this person reliable? Is this person reliable? Is this person reliable? And I think maybe in the House of Representatives, it's fewer than 20. In the Senate, it's fewer than 10. That's where we are. And it's a dynamic that is really hard to break out of. You've got a lot of schemers in Washington sitting in places of power, sitting in, in the Congress. You've got a lot of schemers. And then out here in the cheap seats, you've got a lot of people who are dreaming because they're asleep. That's mm. not a good combination. It is not. All right, we've got about two and a half minutes left. Just enough time for predictions. Todd, I'll let you go first. Uh, I do this uh, to get in the uh, – hey, I'm going to get in the college football uh, spirit. I'm going to do this along a uh, – value bet kind of thing not necessarily the most likely but i'll say the national championship game is going to be between the alabama crimson tide and the usc trojans okay aaron um in the aftermath of i really want to make a prediction about barack obama but i think the prediction that i want to make would get us all taken off the air like everybody <laughs> off the air if you want to know what i'm talking about watch tucker carlson's interview on the adam carolla show and the comments he makes about barack obama and the 2008 campaign that's all i'm going to say uh, my prediction is that um it's actually going to be penn state who wins the big 10 this year penn state will win the big 10 there will not be a three-way tie as you have predicted steve yep i mean they're they're generating late buzz everybody's Getting in, every, you know, I don't think they will look. I don't think they will look like they will win the Big Big Ten in the first two or three weeks. But I do think they will. All right, Hogan, you don't have to make a sports prediction. Make any prediction you want. Go ahead. 
I'm going to make a political one, then I'm going to end with a sports one. I think, and this is not revolutionary by any stretch, I do not think Joe Biden will be on the ticket as the nominee for the Democrat Party, but I do not believe it will be because of health. I think they will say it is because of health, but I think the walls are about to come crashing down on Joe Biden's administration, of course, but I think on his family with legal troubles that we aren't even talking about today. Okay. Number one. Yep. Number two. I'm an SEC guy, went to Ole Miss. I don't think we're going to win the championship by any stretch, but I'm going to go Georgia in a three-peat this year, the rare, the untouchable three-peat for the Georgia Bulldogs, who actually is my East team. Yeah, they, that has not happened in college football in almost a century. Minnesota in the mid-30s was the last team to win three straight national championships. All right. Uh, I'm going to predict that Republicans could nominate Larry Elder next year and still would not win the black vote despite <laughs> all of the buzz. Okay, but I do think 17 percent, which is the highest number Republicans have gotten um, in the last uh, half a century. That was in 1976. Ford got 17 percent. I think that's possible on the current trajectory. I think that is possible. I wouldn't predict that either, but I think it's possible. A lot more possible than a 38 point swing of black voters that people are putting out on Twitter right now. Hogan, thank you for stepping in and answering questions for us and giving some smart takes. We appreciate it, brother. God bless you. Thanks, guys. God bless. You bet. We'll come back with Feedback Friday here in a moment. Stay tuned. Back here with Hour 2 here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. He's Todd Erzin. He's Aaron McIntyre. You are you, and you can let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show. Steve at stevedace.com. D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Getter, Instagram, TikTok. Find me on Truth Social at RealSteveDace, at RealSteveDace there. If you're a podcast listener, we'd love to find your five-star review. Please leave us one if you have not done so. Thank you to the many, the thousands of you that have. Please also remember to hit subscribe or on iTunes follow so that you can make sure every new episode we do shows up in your feed immediately. This part of the show brought to you by our friends over at Relief Factor. You know, everybody deals with chronic pain from time to time, especially as we get older. That's the, the pain that just won't go away. It lingers. It sticks around. It's that achiness, that soreness, that stiffness. It's annoying. We'll do something about it with Relief Factor. Can't guarantee that it's the solution you've been longing for, but we're thinking there's at least 70% odds that, that it is. Why would we get that number from? Well, we've been doing this thing with Relief Factor for years now. This three-week quick start for just 20 bucks to see if you don't see a difference in your pain in three weeks or less. And you know what? About 70% of the people who have done this have found such great results in those three weeks or less that they stick around long-term. That's why we think there's about 70% odds that you, we are the solution you've been looking for. So go to relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. Or you can call them 800, the number four relief, 800, the number four relief. All right, before we get to Feedback Friday, I didn't have time to do this during the, the roundtable because we were pressed for time. And I hope you guys are okay, both on the show and watching and listening. But we, 
Hogan is not officially working for the campaign, associated with the campaign, doing his own thing. Um, obviously, as a guy that was a respected, high-ranking member of the administration, though, he has relationships, even, as he said, uh, he was with the former president a few weeks ago. Okay, So I, I wanted us to take advantage of that, if you guys were okay with it. I know normally the day's group is a roundtable and not an interview. But in this case, I thought, given this, uh, given what's at stake for the future, I, I just wanted to, I, I thought we should ask someone that has more access to the president than we do some questions that we have had and long surmised and discussed on the show. Fair? Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. It was so good. To, so, so you, you, I mean, initial, we were anti-Trump, then we're pro-Trump, then we're anti-Trump, and everybody uh, has a, uh, I prefer Cheez-Its take on what, it's always been, it's always been, at the attempt has always been to be what this discussion was, the stake. Uh, and that's what it was to to hear from somebody inside. Hope you can disagree and agree with Hogan, but that was somebody who was absolutely um, and earnestly giving you something other than a damn soap opera. I, I found it utterly refreshing. There's, you know, I think it's abundantly clear that we're going to come on down on all different sides of his analysis. But it just goes show goes to show once again we aren't respecters of persons here, whether Trump or anybody else. We're going to do our damn best to give you solid food, and you got it there. So essentially what I took away from his comments, and I appreciate and just want to echo that as well, appreciate him coming on and answering these questions, is, yes, Donald Trump has a case he believes will be uh, unimpeachable, were uh, Gidley's words. And essentially what this is going to come down to is you have a better chance in Manhattan than you do in D.C. of finding one juror. You have a better chance in Fulton County than in Manhattan of finding one juror. You have a lot better chance in Florida than Fulton County of finding one juror. I think we're, the le- in my mind, the legal, the legal strategy bit breaks down is when it comes to you know, legal strategy versus uh, spiritual state of our country right now. And I don't know... We try our best on this show to burst bubbles, pop bubbles, get people out of the bubbles that they are living in. Do we still have somewhat of a bubble that we're in? I think, yeah, it's kind of unavoidable in this space. I think the question is, is the bubble that we live in, is that still not indicative of what's actually on the ground? Like, what I'm trying to say is, the position that I've taken on this is that you're not going to find a juror in Washington, D.C., that will see an unimpeachable case and be like, oh, I changed my mind about Donald Trump. In fact, Trump. they might be more inclined, if he actually made a successful case, the election was stolen. Same thing they in Manhattan, would be more inclined. same thing yes. in Fulton he, County. That, that judge would sentence him to even more than the other way around. Basically, yeah. what, I'm see, what I'm hearing from, from Trump's camp is, we think we can actually change hearts and minds here. Yeah. And I just don't think that that's a possibility in Manhattan and D.C., probably not in Fulton County, maybe have a better chance in Florida. I thought the most encouraging part of that conversation, and I wanted to be careful just to be transparent. Hogan and I have been good friends for many years, long, we were good friends for many years before Donald Trump came down an escalator, okay? Going back to the first Huckabee campaign in 08. So I, I didn't want to corner a friend of mine, I, but I did want to take advantage of someone who has a knowledge base that I think we all need and you need. And we wanted to give you access to that. So I wanted to be careful about how many, how pressing I was with the questions because I didn't, he's not officially working for the campaign. And so the idea of putting him on the stand to answer for a campaign he's not working for is not fair, particularly given the fact we're friends. 
I did think the most encouraging part of the conversation, though, is that some of the entities that he is working for are, like the America First Legal Foundation, are, are beginning, are already game planning for the likelihood that they're going to try to take him off the ballot. Okay? Because I'm, I'm with Aaron. I think it's incredibly naive to think you're going to come up with a case that will persuade the jury pool of Washington, D.C. And I think the opposite is actually true. I think, I think the more, I think the, the, if you actually were to shame them to their faces that they stole the election, I think they'd hammer you twice as hard. So I don't find a lot of hope there with that legal strategy. I did find some hope, though, that they are already game planning out legally the coming fight over ballot access and things of that nature rather than let's just all sit here like we did with Fauci and Burks. Well, we can't get rid of them, you know, so we'll just sit here for six oh. months and let them bleed out the administration. Well, you know, let's follow the dominion flow chart instead of try to get the chain of custody on all these absentee ballots that there is an, a preemptive plan or at least a preemptive strategy conversation taking place about the eventuality slash likelihood of this event that I found encouraging. Oh, I'm going to hold on and cherish the moment he said, uh, yeah, we're absolutely thinking about taking Joe Biden off of ballots, yes. too. I was like, and the key oh, phrase oh. there was mutually assured destruction. Yes. That, that's our only way out of this. Social compact. That's what I said to Glenn on his podcast last week. Social compact is broken. There are no more rules of engagement yeah. now. You, you, have to do the, you have to pull a Reagan here. You have to convince the crazies in the Kremlin not to launch a nuclear weapon by showing them you can't win a nuclear war. And the only way to do that is mutually assured. You, you're not going to appeal to the better angels of their nature. There is not some, you know, you know a vitae edict from Pope John. John Paul II, that the Kremlin's going to read and yeah. say, you know what, hot damn. You know what, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe we are made in the image of God and government isn't supreme. That's not happening, okay? And so you need to create a scenario where it's mutually assured destruction. Just so you guys know, you launch at us, Moscow is, is, a, is a cockroach, is a roach motel in three minutes. It's like- Short of that, they're going to launch. Like okay. you said in your column today, that's the Chicago way. Don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Yes, fight. It's or, a fork, or a spork to the OK Corral, like yeah. I used to say. Yes. All right. All right. So I just thought we should definitely have some reaction to that conversation because we got, we and you in the audience, you got a perspective on this that we've not been able to provide previously. So I'm, I'm glad we were able to take advantage of it. All right. Feedback Friday is brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Folks, you know, with uh, Let's Go Brandon in Charge, the world can change at a moment's notice. We're currently on the brink of economic collapse. But if you don't think you need emergency food right now, just wait a day. See what happens. Just don't wait too long. Go to preparewithdace.com now. Preparewithdace.com, they're offering a huge discount on their best-selling three-month emergency food kit. For a limited time, you'll save 25% off each kit. 25% off each kit. That's breakfast, lunch, dinner, even drinks and snacks. The full complement of the 2,000-plus calories that you need a day. Uh, and it's also free shipping. Comes with free and fast shipping, too. When you go to preparewithdace.com, again, preparewithdace.com. One more time, preparewithdace.com. All right, you guys ready for some Feedback Friday? Indeed. John Gedge, who's a disabled veteran, writes, what's a prosperity gospel? So I've heard you guys use this term and address it before. The prosperity gospel is an American heresy that... The gospel that, that essentially Jesus died for your comfort in the form of health, wealth, etc. 
And if you declare it and, and have enough faith, um, and particularly when it comes to giving the people telling you um, this heresy, when it comes to giving them a lot of your money, if you declare it with enough faith, if you give them enough money, then God will honor that and grant you more money and health and washboard abs. That's essentially what it is. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are sinners. We deserve hell. We want it. In fact, we crave it. And God came to us in human form to live the sinless life we could not live, to die the death for our sins we should have died, and then rose again, displaying his power over the last enemy death. And the murderer from the beginning, death himself, the enemy, Satan. So that we now, through faith in him and what he did for us, we now have the hope of living forever in paradise or heaven with Christ as he reigns over all creation. That's the gospel. That is not the prosperity gospel. In fact, when people like Creflo Dollar and Joel Osteen preach, this stuff almost never comes up, if it does, even at all. Is that a good enough summation, you think, Aaron? Yeah. I would just simplify it with with this phrase that I heard from a Joel Osteen sermon when uh, this would have been a sermon. I need to put the air quotes in there. From when I was probably 10 or 11 surfing around on my uh, aunt and uncle's uh, cable uh, television. God wants you to be happy. Yeah. That's the prosperity gospel. Now, God wants you to have joy, but joy and happiness and happiness as the only pursuit in your life, that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. And so to, to, to just put it in very, very simple words from a prosperity gospel preacher himself, God wants you to be happy. That is basically the prosperity gospel. Everything, everything, every single issue that's talked about or not talked about in prosperity with churches that, that engage in this type of thing centers around that. God wants you to be happy. Um, just for happiness sake. That's probably the, what I would call the prosperity gospel. Yeah, I, I think the real, I assume this guy is a Christian who's asking this or at least has respect for it. Why isn't it abundantly clear to him what this is? I think is the real question. And I think, honestly, to be fair to the likes of... Uh, Creflo and Mr. Uh, where, where did he go? Is he around anymore? Uh, no, he's not up there anymore. Uh, Mr. Um, Osteen. Osteen is in fact because the entire American church has largely become the prosperity gospel. Oh, I mean, it's the they're the they're the quote the biggest names in quote unquote Christianity. No question. I mean, you are get you are getting a Luke down uh, a lukewarm Oprah show, you know, be happy kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, all the it, time in the American church. I mean, essentially what we just said is the, most of the biggest names in Christianity aren't actually Christians or people preaching Christianity. And if that's just not a metaphor for America writ large, yeah. then I guess I don't know what is. Nevertheless, John, excellent question. And most importantly, brother, thank you for your service. Thank you. All right. This is from Morris Vereen, who says, I have been wondering why for a long time. Maybe you can help me see the answers. I am left wondering, what is it about the man named Donald J. Trump that has caused the political left and even some on the right 
to collectively destroy and dismantle the social compact and the integrity of the United States legal system. I don't understand why before 2015, Trump was seen as a celebrity billionaire and appeared to be well-liked by the elites and political establishment. Then with his turn to politics, he all of a sudden became persona non grata. What changed? Why did Obama and the U.S. intelligence apparatus go to such great lengths to spy on Trump and his presidential campaign? Why did Hillary create a fictitious dossier that would lay the groundwork for the Russian collusion hoax? Why was Donald Trump impeached twice more than any other president on the most bogus of charges? Why did they create a fake insurrection at the Capitol on January 6, 2020? Why po- By the way, have you guys seen the Julie Kelly video of the uh, Proud Boy uh, disturbance that got their leader sentenced yes. to 17 years in prison? Yes. 17 years in prison for that? Right. Yeah. Anyway, back to this note. Why post-presidency have Biden and Democrats weaponized the DOJ and are using lawfare at every level of government, all at taxpayer expense, to try and criminalize Trump and his associates? What is it about Trump that scares the hell out of them? Why can't they allow this man to be elected again? What is their modus operandi? Can you recall ever seeing open season on a singular U.S. citizen to this extent? Make it make sense as to why they have gone all in to destroy Trump and perhaps half the electorate with him. These are excellent questions. Excellent. I think we have to, I think there are numerous factors at play. Um, but you have to go back and remember what happened in the year 2016. So all right, let's actually go back even further uh, you know, I, I mentioned this to Glenn on his podcast last weekend. Uh, the election of Barack Obama indicated that a new era of the American left had ascended to power. And the old era that many of us had grown up in, that the public would punish you if you went too far left of center or right of center because you were disrupting the norms. And the voters would, would essentially hold you accountable. You'd be punished for that. You know, Bill Clinton saw that happen to his party in the 80s, went out there and, and formed with another group of moderate Democrats, the Democrat Leadership Council, um, with the intent of essentially repackaging, you know, leftism, but in a you know, less ominous form. Remember the whole sister soldier moment, okay, where he said, you know, hey, I'm not going to, you know, this radical black supremacist rapper, that's not who the Democratic Party is. He's wanting to send signals, I'm not Michael Dukakis, Walter Mondale, et cetera. And, and then he got elected president, moved hard left, got punished in that contract with America midterm in 1994. And do you guys remember, and I reminded Glenn of this, he started his very next State of the Union in, in January and February of 1995, he started it with the following phrase, the era of big government is over. And in Bill Clinton's second term, he did three strikes and you're out, crime bill. He did the, which I actually think, you know, was the last good piece of bipartisan legislation we've done as a country. Uh, did welfare reform, put limits on how long you could be on welfare and then you were kicked off. We did the Defense of Marriage Act. Um, we had our last balanced budgets. Now the national debt wasn't paid down, but the, but the budgets that we were doing in those fiscal years were actually balanced. This is a fairly conservative second term that Bill Clinton had. What happened with Barack Obama? Comes in, moves hard left. 2010, he gets contract with American again. He gets annihilated in that midterm election. Did he move to the middle or moderate on anything at all? No. Gets reelected in 2012. 2014 midterm gets hit even harder. We had one of the largest single Senate seat swings in American history in that election. Nine seat swing. Did Barack Obama mediate, moderate on anything at all? No. 
And so what that told you is the old model of we can't alienate the voters or they'll punish us at the polls was out. And I go back to something that your guy, Rick Santorum, said many years ago that, yes, the Dem- if the, even if the Democrats knew in advance that Obamacare would cost them over 900 elections at the federal, state, and local level, and it did, they still would have done it because of the power it would have given them. See, that's a new paradigm. That was not the way this system operated for the previous generation. The previous era of Democrats would have said, the Clintons would have said, well, Bill Clinton would have said, no. <laughs> no, I'll take power and winning elections over, you know, being hard left. That's out the window now. We are no longer going to have voters move and force the Democratic Party into the mainstream in the middle. They don't care what you think. And as they showed in 2020, we'll just steal the election if we don't like where you're, what you're thinking. And so this, this radically changes the political paradigm comprehensively because we only have two parties. And if one of them has decided they're no longer going to be beholden to the will of the people, either implicitly or explicitly, well, that's going to have a pretty big impact on the process. So that's 50% of it right there, right? Okay. So 2016 comes along. They thought they had this thing in the bag. They thought they were going to, it's very hard for a political party to win the White House three terms in a row. It's really hard. It rarely happens. They thought they were going to pull this off, even with a very unlikely, un- unlikable cackling Hillary Clinton. They thought they were going to pull this off because during the primary, they went all in to give Trump the nomination. They gave him more media coverage than they'd ever given a Republican ever. Convinced he was a clown, convinced he wasn't serious, convinced he would offend too many people, and that they could have their woman president and check that box. We got the black guy president, now a woman president. We're making America progressive again. All right. And... Trump instead turns the tables on them and wins. The voters actually turn the tables on them and vote for Trump. Another event happened earlier that same year in 2016, Brexit. Where Nigel Farage was not able to break through the labor Tory, you know, duopoly control over the UK government. He went out, left the, left the Tory, left the Tory gov- party, tried to start his own um, UK independence party had very limited success. Even in a parliamentary system, he could, not, uh, he could not amass the critical mass to challenge their two dominant parties there. But a singular issue that defined Nigel Farage's agenda was put on a ballot referendum, which means it now is operating outside of the party system and goes directly to the people for a vote. And what happens with Brexit? It passes. And they produced all the polls that showed it wasn't going to pass. It was going to fail miserably. You find out later on, even some British celebrities, Ringo Starr, for example, admitted he voted for Brexit. Because there were a lot of people that may not agree with us on the issues. Go back to that Beck video from 12 years ago. May not agree with us on the issues, but they like the idea of actually being, you know, having a representative government. They like that idea. Think it's a good thing to have politicians accountable to them and not special interests. And so Brexit passes, Nigel Farage destroys the political paradigm in the UK. Donald Trump gets elected that same year. And I think what happened, to answer your question, Morris, is that the system was content under the current pace of things. To, you know, the Obama years turned the frog in the water, turned the, the heat up on the frog in the boiling water, but not enough that the frog would jump, Right. A lot of us still have a lot of good memories of what America was like from 2008 to 2016. 
But when the people voted for Brexit and Trump in the same year, I think that freaked the globalists out. And they were like, "Uh uh-oh, they're waking up. Thanos. Yes. Have to do this myself. Gonna have to do it myself. Yeah, the previous plan isn't gonna work. Forget the frog in the boiling water. We're not even going to worry about boiling the frog. We're going to drop a nuclear bomb on the frog. We have to act now. We're running out of time. And I think all this critical mass was brought to bear because of that. And I think Trump does absolutely symbolize that. I do. I do. I, here's the thing with me and Trump. And maybe I don't articulate this well all of the time. So let me take this occasion to articulate it as well as I think I possibly can. I don't deny, and in fact, I completely agree with the symbolism surrounding Trump. I understand why you, many of you see him the way that you do, and I completely agree with all of you how they see him. I completely agree that they see him as a proxy for us. I don't disagree with that at all. I don't. My frustration comes with like a note I received from Philip D. James, U.S. Navy retired. And here's the most important thing before we answer Philip. Thank you for your service, brother. Thank you. But Philip goes on to say, I watched your show where the guy said that Trump could murder someone and he would still vote for him. I have to say that I'm of the same mindset, but not because I idolize him. It just seems because he's the only one willing to go in there and tear down the deep state with a wrecking ball. Now, the rest of his email went on, but I had to stop right there, and I have to ask myself, when did he do this? Most of his appointees, Rex Tellerson, Reince Priebus, Elaine Chow, Steve Mnuchin, we're all all deep state people. Mike Pompeo is supposedly terrible deep state. Guys, he was the longest-serving member of Trump's cabinet. Trump gave him arguably outside of attorney general, the two most important jobs in any administration, secretary of state and head of the CIA. I mean, so I understand that you see him as a symbol of you. I agree that to some extent he is a symbol of me. I think he's a symbol of me. I agree with that too. I agree that they see him as a symbol for me. You know how many Google alerts I get calling me a MAGA podcaster? A ton of them. Every day. Every day. Some left-wing blog, some left-wing site writes about me as a MAGA podcaster. They'd be laughing about that at Mar-a-Lago. Okay? No way. But I understand that they lump us all in together. I understand that. What I don't understand is why he gets credit for doing things that he didn't do and, and is not held accountable for the things that he did. What empowered the deep state more than what happened with COVID? That was the largest wealth transfer of all time. We gave $400 million to Democrats to ballot harvest us and and rig an election. We took 10,000 small and family-owned businesses, and we erased them. And and instead, all that wealth went to giant corporations like Walmart that got to stay open. We took corporations like Moderna that had been unsuccessful 0 for 9 all time as a corporation in bringing a product to market. We gave them over a billion dollars to create a product, bring it to market, and then poison us. That's what I don't understand. Like, I want to earn their hate. And hey, for me, 
if we didn't have a Ron DeSantis in the race that had done the stuff he'd done in Florida, I'd be where all of you are at. I'd be like, the symbolic battle is the only battle we have. You see what I'm trying to say? But we have a guy in Florida that has done this, not symbolically, substantively. Has gotten rid of over 20 deep state hacks in his own state. Has gotten rid of not one, but two Soros prosecutors who refuse to prosecute the law. And so, to me, I want to beat them with substance. Like, I, I don't... I, I don't want to be symbolically seen as a swamp drainer. I want to do the swamp draining. I don't want to be symbolically seen as America first. I want to do America first. I want to do those things. And that's the thing that frustrates me. That's where we're at odds. Now, I will tell you again, if Ron DeSantis was not in this race, we wouldn't be at odds. Because I wouldn't even consider anybody else in this race. And therefore, the only fight worthy of having, from my perspective, would be what Trump symbolically represents. And I'd be all in with you. What was I doing in 2020, by the way? What yeah. was I doing? Working, I, was, work, I was all in with you. you say working harder than him sometimes. Yeah, I was, I was, I was all in with you because the symbolic fight was the fight we were having. Right now, we have a rare opportunity to actually earn that, to put somebody in there that will do the stuff. Not just message the MAGA, but do the MAGA. I think we have to do it now. But I don't deny at all the way that they see him and why they're doing this to him and that they see him as an extension of us. I don't. I also view him as an extension of me. Not an always effective version of it, okay? But symbolically, I absolutely see Donald Trump as an extension of me because my enemies see me that way. So I'm left with no choice. Did that explain the situation? Oh, one heck of an effort. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts there, and you explained as many as you could, the machinery of it all. I think there's another parallel thing that I know Steve ultimately believes in. There is, and off air, on a totally different topic, Steve and I uh, hit on it a little bit about how uh, we don't even sin right uh, anymore, not driven by the same normal urges. Well, that that's key to what's going on here as well. And it's not, it's counterintuitive a bit because it's not directly addressing Trump. The timing is just perfect. But hey, I mean, listen, Steve and I were born in the early 70s. Uh, so we're, you know, we're on the fumes of the 60s. Uh, certainly some decadence in those decades. But like, I, I don't think it's even close you you had normal sex, drugs, rock and roll, sin, brokenness, governing people toward for most of our lives. Now here, you know the, the venial sins, the brokenness, they snowball, and sooner or later you get into the mortal sins. That's what we're dealing with, man. There is a darkness over the land right now that is unparalleled in our lifetime, Steve. Hmm. I agree with that. I do. We'll come back. More of your feedback here on the Feedback Friday in just a moment. Stay tuned.
Our friends at Jace Medical, who gave you the Jace case last year of venerable antibiotics, they wanted to make sure you had access to just in case of the next emergency. That just suddenly and suspiciously decided these are really dangerous meds. You can't have them right when you need them. Um, instead, they've got a new product out now. And if you don't have the Jace case, you should. But now they want to make sure that you can back up your existing medications for up to 12 months. And this includes everything from heart health to diabetes, even mental health and more. Uh, go to jacemedical.com. Make sure, make sure the meds you need aren't the next ones that oh gosh, you know, guys, we just suddenly discovered they're horse-paced and terrible for you, and you shouldn't take them, despite the fact we just gave it a Nobel Prize 10 minutes ago. JaceMedical.com is where you want to go. Use the discount code DACE at checkout for the discount. See how that works? Discount code DACE at checkout for the discount when you go to JaceMedical.com. J-A-S-E, JaceMedical.com, discount code DACE. Again, that's JaceMedical.com. All right, let's continue on here on a Feedback Friday. This is from Jeffrey Payne from Winter Springs, Florida. The right in America are like the pagans who worshipped Dionysus because he threw really great parties. Unserious paganism for fun and profit. The left are the serious pagans because their gods tell them that they can own other people and be self-righteous about it. God is now destroying American paganism on the left and on the right. It is unclear whether the United States of America can survive this process. If he needs to annihilate the USA to turn our souls back to him, he will do that without apology and without hesitation. Now, this goes in complete conflict with what, Aaron, you articulated as the prosperity gospel last segment. God will absolutely allow and lead you into suffering if he thinks that's what you need to be led closer to him. Similar to how with your own children, you have to let them risk failure and experience that failure to understand what it will take to be successful. Otherwise, they'll become bratty, ingrate, spoiled, entitled. Same thing. God will allow his children to suffer if that is what is needed to humble them and to bring them closer to him. And that's what Jeffrey is saying here. Thoughts on... Him, him saying he thinks God is destroying American paganism as we speak. I wax and wane between two possibilities of what's going on here. One of them is what he just articulated. The other is that in totality, and I guess they're really not at, at conflict with each other, but uh, the other is just Romans 1, which, like I said, probably not in conflict with each other. But I see things, you know, I see things from week to week that it's like, I can see how God is working here to destroy the wickedness in our culture. The next week I'll say, I can see how God is just working to let our culture destroy itself, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely think that that's on the table. What I would just encourage... Uh, Anybody to do when we're thinking in these terms is uh, blessed be the name of the Lord, one way or another. Amen. In if it's if it's Romans one, I I think and Todd, we've had this conversation off the air a couple of times. If it's a Romans one judgment, when I think about the Romans one judgment, I actually rejoice because it is perfect and it is righteous because it's one that we choose ourselves. And we choose this, and even as we're under judgment, we like it. That is a perfect and righteous judgment for a people like us. 
It really is. And it, this is the conversation that Todd and I have had. God doesn't really damn anybody to hell. He really doesn't. We choose it. The wages of sin is death. We choose it. We earn it. That's kind of part and parcel to this conversation. Mm. John writes, My wife and I faced the life issue head-on with our oldest daughter. Having traversed the heartbreaking road of two miscarriages, we were finally heading into that 12-week appointment many faced with joy and expectations. The first thing we waited for was hearing the heartbeat of our child signaling they were still there and the fluttering my wife felt wasn't just gas. Once heard, my wife's expression of joy glowed. But then things continued longer than expected, and the ultrasound tech wasn't as jovial with us. After they left the room to check with the doctor, my wife's joy went to foreboding. I dismissed her concerns, trying to stay positive. Then our world and our faith were shaken when the doctor came to discuss disturbing images from the ultrasound. He only provided worst-case scenarios, suggesting the pregnancy was unlikely to go full term. Therefore, his recommendation was to terminate the pregnancy and try again. And this was after having recovered from two miscarriages. Needless to say, that walk through the office and clinic uh, and clinical nature of setting up the next appointment occurred in a daze. One thing of note, there was little empathy or concern given. It was all clinical. My wife and I silently walked to the parking garage and sat in the car for a while. As I comforted my wife, I resolved to stay positive and not give up entered. We called before leaving to cancel the appointment we had just made, returned home to find another, another path. We chose John Hopkins for their high-risk pregnancy services. The attitude of that office was quite different. They just simply asked our position and stated that we would deal with things as they came up. Part of that resolve was rooted in our pro-life stance, a stance that allowed for exceptions. We were facing the result of compromising the protection of the children with exceptions. When viewed as a clump of cells, it can be clinical. But truth is, this is a person and has rights as well. As a result of this experience, we become absolutist in protecting the unborn. Exceptions and compromises lead to chipping away at the ultimate truth. Life is worth protecting regardless of the risks and challenges. Not only did my daughter go to full term, she hung out for almost an extra month before we forced the issue. She was born with a number of medical issues that were resolved through surgeries and therapy. In August, my wife and I, along with her three siblings, dropped her off at college, a true Catholic college. She had not only deepened the Catholic faith of my wife and I, but has, led, but has led when we became weak. Can't even imagine life if we had followed medical advice to terminate her existence. She's been a blessing to us along with her sisters and brother. It is a crime that few Gen Z and millennials have interacted with mentally and physically challenged peers. They've been robbed of the unconditional love offered by those with Down syndrome. They've not learned how to engage those with mental challenges that can be the sweetest people. They've not seen them overcome and succeed despite these challenges. Those lessons lost create suffering because these stories and experiences, they create hope. And that is from John. That's outstanding, John. Thank you. And congratulations to your family. Well done, good and grateful servant. I... I in this day and age, parents, whether they're Christian or you are, they just controlling everything. And there's a lot of things you need to control as a good parent. But as a Christian parent, you, you're, I was given the grace to see I, as clearly as anything else that when I had my four baby girls baptized, I prayed a stronger prayer 
every single time. And it was of, I thank you for giving them to me, Lord. Now I give them back to you mm-hmm. now and give me the strength to do it always. They are yours. I can't see completely with your eyes. I can't know. And this is what we do often as modern day parents and Christian parents do it all the time just as well. If you would have done it, sir, as a father, your baby girl would have been dead. But instead, you did the same thing. You gave her to God because she is, you acknowledged a reality. She is his. And we think we can know, we think we have it all figured out. And look at what we damn ourselves to because of it. This is why I bring up all the time. We're the we're the we're still the smartest, most educated, uh, most financially well off people in the history of mankind. And look what we've done. It's, it's, we should be ashamed of ourselves. And it's all because we do not give things back to God. Most importantly, the children that he gives us. They belong to him. And how dare you get in the way of destroying... That that line in the Green Mile, so powerful when he's wrestling with what to do. And Tom Hanks' character says, like, I... When I die and meet my maker, how am I supposed to explain to him that I killed one of his miracles? I just, you, whatever caused you and your wife to have the strength to do it, get on your knee, I, I'm sure you are, but I, 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 you need to be acknowledged that I see it. I think Aaron and Steve see it as well. Um, it, it is the way, the truth, and the life, and it is not ours to get in the way of. A few weeks ago, my wife sent me this TikTok. This is a video of a baby inside the womb. Now, this was taken during. It's incredible. This is this is one of the this is one of the things about medicine and uh, and, and and healthcare that's just incredible and miraculous. It's actually during a surgery and in inside the womb surgery on this little baby. Can see the ba- you can see him or her moving his fingers and his hands. Incredible, just absolutely incredible. That thing in the womb—it's not a thing; it's a human being; it's a life. And I posted that video on Twitter, and I said, "Try call- try calling that a clump of cells." And some rando from the UK came at me, and nobody calls it a clump of cells. Blah, 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 blah. Do you know any biology whatsoever? And I just asked him, hey, do you have any cells in your body? Do you think I got a response to that? Mm -mm. The the truth is clear. What is, we were just, I just invoked Romans 1 a little bit ago. Despite knowing God, they neither, uh, um, acknowledged him as God, but a little while later, exchanged the truth for a lie. In all of human history, especially on this issue, it's never been more abundantly clear what that is. And stories like what we just heard should be enough for anybody to acknowledge, okay, yeah, that is 
that is precious, that is sanctified, and yet we still deal with the lives, but, or with the lies. But for people like the daughter of, of, of the emailer, she gets to experience life, the highs, the lows. Her parents got to experience her growing up. And every single life that is saved and spared from the stain known as baby killing, abortion. You just have to thank God and praise God for that. Every single life. And, you know, for the last going on a year plus now, there have been a lot more of those stories, I bet you, in this country. A lot more of those stories. And we should never, never cease to, 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 to praise the Lord for that. It's just an amazing thing. And uh, the, the videos like we, we just showed, I think just bear that out. Bear that out over and over again. Amen. Gary Lovegren writes, You often give Trump huge credit for his first three years and the overturning of Roe v. Wade being his best achievement. Do you not believe that any Republican elected president, like say a Cruz or Rubio in Trump's place, would have appointed the same three or maybe even more conservative justices to the court and gotten Roe overturned the same way when it came through. So if the above is true, his first three years accomplishments get a lot less great, great when compared to the constant turmoil and impeachments. So in my mind, now the only real accomplishment of his presidency is the Abraham Accords. Now, before we get to the rest of your note, Gary, I want to just deal with the last sentence. If the guy's only real accomplishment was the Abraham Accords, is that like he? I think that's a little bit more complicated than figuring out a Rubik's cube. I, I think that that's. Listen, man, all this guy did in four years is Middle East peace. I mean, what are we even doing here? I mean, I. Let's just assume I agree with your argument. I don't. But even if I, just going with your argument, that is not an insignificant achievement, Gary. <laughs> okay. That's, you know, I mean, FDR did 50 things I don't like. I'm grateful that he saved us during World War II. That's pretty big. Uh, FDR fought Hitler. That's all he did. All he did was fight Hitler and the Japs. Tried to stack the Supreme Court, gave us the New Deal. I mean, Okay. But if all he did right was fight Hitler and the Japs, that, um, that, forgive me, I believe that would be fairly an important compli- an, an, an important co- an accomplishment. Fair? Yes. So I, I, I kind of think that if they did nothing else for four years, but, but Middle East peace, I don't know. I kind of think that matters. But to the rest of your point, I, I don't think Jeb Bush would have appointed the same justices. I, I don't. I think Cruz might have appointed better justices. I think Gorsuch would have been on the low end. I think Cruz probably would have appointed Amy Coney Barrett, too. I think everybody got swindled by her. I think I, knowing Ted, Brett Kavanaugh, no chance. No way. I could see Gorsuch. I could see ACB. Because she was the one we all thought for sure we'd be, we weren't going to be wrong about, right? She was on everybody's shortlist. Boy, howdy. Okay. Kavanaugh, no way. I think Cruz would have done better. 
I think Rubio probably appoints the exact same three justices, but here's why this doesn't matter. Say you've got three twin sons, and they're all good at baseball. Really good. One of them hits the home run that wins the game. Do you not give him any credit because the other two sons are also good at baseball, and if it would have been their turn up to bat, they could have hit the home run too. You see what I'm saying? What kind of a dad would that be? You're, in a, you're a dad in sports. What kind of a dad would that be? Well, you know, my other son's going to pull it off too. Really not that big a deal. Is that a good dad? That's weird. That's weird. Yeah, that's, that's, but that's his argument, right? Well, the guy that won just did what we think other guys yeah. that didn't win might have done. This is weird. <sighs> Speaking of weird, this is weird. Like, yes, do I think there's at least as good of a... I, I do, could have Cruz pulled off this reality. Yes. But I think you're looking at it the entirely wrong way because of the the time we're living in and we're looking for rationalizations, including the three of us in this room. Let's all four of us come together, iron sharp and iron, let's be honest. When Donald Trump ran for president, how many of what did any of us think the odds of him being the president that overturned Roe was? Nil. Yeah. Nil. And it happened. By the so, way, how many of us thought any of these guys would be able to overturn Roe? No one was so, even really talking about that. But it happened, and he did it. It does. It's okay to give people credit yeah. for what they earned the credit for, and it's okay to get, hold people accountable and to blame for what they earned accountability and blame for. Both are okay. Have a great weekend, John 317.